In their ever-present pursuit of entertainment, education, and some adjective to be named later, the Homestar Army proudly presents Trek West 5, a conglomerate podcast of science fiction, politics, humor, and pretty much whatever else we want to talk about. Trek West 5 is brought to you in part by RocketWebDesign.com, custom web design at template website prices. Designs by Dee.blogspot.com, your online home for all your digital scrapbooking needs. Need a home along the Wasatch Front? Contact Lisa DeBagere with Kirkham & Friends Real Estate. No one will work harder for your home. And thehomestarmy.com, blogging to the world since 2004. Your hosts for Trek West 5 are Joey and Peter. Good evening and welcome to podcast uh, um, 124. I'm Peter. And I'm Joey. Stop interrupting in my intros. <laughs> That was planned. I was trying to do that because it's been so bloody long since we've recorded uh-huh. that we guy. have forgotten Funny man. where we're at. Welcome back. Merry Christmas, everyone. Happy holidays. Actually, Happy New Year because yeah. this will be published after the new year. So, you know. Unless Pete gets off his butt and gets it edits to me tomorrow. <laughs> That's not going to happen. <laughs> uh, let us welcome uh, the father of the podcast... Officially, my friend John Manson, back to Trek West 5. Welcome, John. Drupalets. And thank you, uh, my children. Glad <laughs> to be here. <laughs> it's been a long time since you've been on. And this is more than just like, hey, I'm going to hang out for the intro and then I'm going to take off. Right, yeah. Like, you're caught up with episodes. You're really enjoying Babylon 5. Well, yeah. eh, maybe I'm overstepping. <laughs> You're enjoying, at least. <laughs> I, I'm I'm in enjoying. <laughs> Which, I guess, in a way, could be more than enjoying. It's in enjoying. <laughs> but yes, no, I. Uh, it's been a very uh, stressful year for me. in Only in terms of Trek West 5 watching them. <laughs> that's where, that's like, most of my stress has come from. I'm, I'm never going to get caught up. I'm never going to be able to, like, go back on the podcast and hang out with those guys. It's, and so it was very sad. So I worked really, really hard, and I finally got caught up in Season 5, so I can talk about the Season 5 episodes. <laughs> our, our two months off probably helped. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, well, you're welcome. That was Trek West 5's gift to you. Thank you. Uh, is you being able to catch up. Um, but uh, in all seriousness, we're really glad to have you back. We, we missed you, you uh, because you, you do bring uh, a good uh, uh, air of uh, awesomeness. Refinement. <laughs> <laughs> refinement, awesomeness, pretty much the same thing. I choose to bring your refinement down, is how I <laughs> like to put it. Well, we have just, uh, I, I don't know if maybe there's anything you want to talk about before we begin. I've got a couple of things. I've got nothing. Go ahead. All right. We had uh, a couple of emails come in, and uh, it was uh, from... Brainy Smurf and uh, listener Bob. So I thought I'd read those to start off. Brainy Smurf says, Hey dudes, Merry Christmas. If you can forgive the brevity of this message, just understand that I really, really appreciate what you do with Trek West 5. I will never be able to disseminate the appropriate level of sap to facilitate the full realization (laughs) of your skills and impact. But just know that my close friends are curiously aware 
that I have a mysterious relationship with some Mormons, and that I speak of you dudes and LDSers with the utmost respect, because you are truly the ones who are swinging the lantern of that Greek dude. <laughs> you are nothing short of being brokers of meaning in a dark, dark world, and I rely on you dudes to assure me that life isn't so crappy after all. So Merry Christmas, dudes, and don't stop the casting or I'm done for. <laughs> no, no pressure. Right? <laughs> <laughs> we only have a human life in our hands. <laughs> uh, he finishes, and thanks again, Ambassador uh, Bryant. Uh, so whenever Dee Dee finally says, okay, I'm done, I, you, I can, can, tell you can no longer, you, you can bring up this email. I can say, look, honey, do you really want that, this man's blood on your hands? <laughs> I like that it's more than death. It's blood. <laughs> um, well, that was really nice. Yeah, it was. Brainy, thank you very much. You're you're very, very kind to say such things. We enjoy this. We are really glad that all of you enjoy this out there as well. If you get any meaning from it, awesome. If not, just enjoy it for uh, at us least being, laugh. <laughs> yeah, being the buffoons that we are. Um, so thank you uh, once again. Um, listener Bob. Okay. Whom we haven't heard from in months, yeah, yeah, quite some time. Um, he says, "Hi guys, I hope you are enjoying this holiday season with your families." Well, my university work is officially over, oh, barring any rewrites my supervisor may need me to do in the new year. I haven't really listened to the podcast, but I've been following on Facebook. Where are we? Has <laughs> Babylon Five finished yet? <laughs> I'll be honest, I never finished season five. Well, there's still time. There's still time, Bob. <laughs> Hold on. Oh, okay. I found it very dull. <laughs> I'll probably come to that in a series wrap-up. Anyway, I can't wait to contribute again. Let the fun continue, listener Bob. So, thanks very much, Bob. Good to have you back. Yes, we welcome, welcome you back. back to the fold. And we're almost done with Babylon 5. <laughs> I think I had it calculated. We've got uh, this week... So we got one, two, three podcasts, and a series wrap-up to right. go. So just four more left. Did, of, did we of mix the idea five. of a, a Trek West 5 wrap-up? I think so. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't want to try and classify <laughs> West what, Wing, what, Babylon what, 5. Better, Noel or Inner Light? <laughs> oh, man. I, I, it'd Too probably tough. be fun to like just have... like. At least the characters, like who would win, <laughs> like between these okay. characters. All right, fine. If if people want to submit in a series of questions, maybe we'll then do some sort of weird podcast that is all about okay, some some odd comparisons, who wins, that kind of stuff. I uh, if, if if people do it, then we'll do a okay. podcast right. about it. I think Donna could totally take Jakar. <laughs> I think Shakar would totally allow that to happen. Um, okay. Um, Facebook find of the week? <laughs> the three or should we do weeks? Facebook find of the year? Oh, no, geez, let's not do not that. Fair. Let's not do that. <laughs> Facebook find of the week. Facebook find of the week. Uh, I'm going to give it to the sculptures of things made out of books. Sent in by listener Sai. Yeah. That was so cool. That was very cool. You know, uh, a few months back, I think it was like September actually... I went with my kids to the Museum of Fine Art, I think it is, at BYU campus. 
I look forward to going to the Museum of Mediocre Art. <laughs> well, I can't remember if it was modern art or fine art. <laughs> okay. Uh, and they had a guy, they had a, uh, a what do you call it? When Curator? You, when you have all the works of a particular artist. Gallery? Or, a or show? A show, I guess. I don't, uh, I don't know. A study on the works of one particular guy that was all about books. Uh, and he was into the deconstruction of books. And so, like, he loaded a thousand pounds of books into a high-end um, shredder not shredder but washing machine <laughs> <laughs> and every day they would open up this washing machine they'd dump out all the pulp and they ran they run it they put water and soap and everything in there and oh run it oh my god every day they'd get out they'd clean out all this pulp they'd send it off to be recycled and they'd throw new books <laughs> into this washing machine and turn it back on and you know he had different things like that he had some artwork that was made up of wait 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 so they put it in a washing. Could 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 they make paper out of that? Yeah, could they... potentially. Weren't we just talking about like recycling, recycling, <laughs> and how did. hard it is to recycle a piece of paper into another piece of paper? Well, that like I said, after they pulled it out of the washing machine, they sent it to a recycling plant okay. that did all the rest of the processing. Hmm. Okay. Go on. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, uh, that was not nearly as cool as what listeners I sent in. Yeah. The, the the sculptures that that guy was able to make, I, I really liked the uh, was it the Grand Canyon that he did. It was a one of the know. national monuments. I liked the one where it was they had like really gone in and it was oh, they very cut it out intricate inside the thing, like the it little was, little house down inside it. I think so. I think that's the one. It's been a while since I've saw uh, saw it. Yeah, the, the amount of skill necessary to do that. I'm really curious as to how he prepares the books so that he can cut them. Because those edges would be so loose on some edges that it'd be hard. I, I can't understand how he did some of that. I don't know either. Magic. 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 So, yeah. anyway, congratulations, uh, listener Sai. We did take a new picture tonight, so... We're not sure which you should be awarded. Yeah, we'll, we'll, and we'll check it. We're also really sorry from the month ago that we put up the last podcast where we still haven't sent out that <laughs> award yet, but with that, that should be coming soon. It's been a busy holiday. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. Um, Brainy Smurf. Okay. And his Nook, Nook of, of darkness. darkness. He begins. What's up, dudes? Seriously. Answer me. What's up? Uh, not much just celebrating the holidays, I guess. Okay. That's right. fair enough. So I thought we should get retro for this last Nook of the Year that marks the first year of Brainy's historic reign as TrekWest 5's ambassador to the dark side. <laughs> so for this week's installment of Brainy's Nook of Darkness, <laughs> he made me put the laugh. Right. We have... You need more inhale first next time. Well, all right. I, uh, <laughs> it's been a while since I've done this. It's, fair, yeah, fair. Like I said, I've forgotten even what number we were on. Uh, we have butt-kicking monks. Lanier has become Babby Five's coolest warrior monk. I remember a recent episode in the Doctor Who Season 5 two-parter about the Weeping Angels, where we see another awesome manifestation of warrior monks in the future. But these examples were both inspired by the original butt-kicking priest Kane from Kung Fu, oh, yes. the original TV show. Yes, David Carradine played Kwai Chang Kane as he wanders the landscape of a late 19th century Midwestern United States, helping people with the compassion of a monk 
and the awesomeness of a Kung Fu master. So when the pilot episode originally aired on October 14, 1973, we learn the story of how young Kwai was exiled from China and forced to be the wandering monk of the Old West. But much earlier than that, he survives a close call while in training. When he was a student in his Shaolin temple, he and another boy were charged with the task of taking the donkey-drawn wagon down the mountain to the nearby town to get supplies. On their way, a nice old man tells them to take a shortcut to avoid robbers, and surely enough, the alternate route contained waiting bandits, whom were in cahoots with the old man. So the two monk boys walk back to their temple with nothing, and their master says, What did you learn? Jerk boy number one says, <laughs> Never trust a stranger. Kwai Chang Kane says, To expect the unexpected. And Kwai gets to stay, and jerk boy is booted. For Kwai demonstrated that the mandate of his religious teachings requires him to give anyone as many opportunities as possible to improve themselves. This is also, in my opinion, a similar sentiment to the priest from Les Miserables who, who lets Valjean off the hook at the beginning of the story. It's a great lesson no matter how it's told. Kung Fu is good even though it's old. Brainy out. I agree. I love that show. You did? I do. You really enjoyed do. it? do. You still? I still do. You watch it? Yep. Constantly? Not constantly. I watch it every once in a while. How do you watch it? Is it on TV? Uh, I watch it through various means of which we can speak when we're not being recorded. <laughs> I torrent it. I, I, I something illegal. I know. I'm trying to make over the joke. <laughs> I assumed it was like I, I assumed it was like I have the whole thing, the whole series torrented. Yeah. Okay. And you I watched, still? I watched an episode here and there. I don't I, consistently watch. I've it. never seen Kung Fu. Um, all I know about it is that it's uh, it's what. Um, the character Peter watches in Office Space. He says it's his favorite show. <laughs> okay. Here, here's my... I've seen a couple of episodes, although it was, you know, a couple decades ago. Um, the Take comedian... Um, oh, who's the... Who's that Chinese girl comedian? Margaret Cho? Margaret Cho. I don't know why I've remembered this, but when I was younger, in my early teens... I remember watching a Margaret Cho thing, and she's like doing a riff on Kung Fu and David Carradine, and her whole shtick was, that guy's not Chinese. No, but seriously, that guy's not Chinese. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> like what I Chinese. remember about the whole thing. It's, that guy's it's not Chinese. It's actually explained in the, in the show. <laughs> well, it didn't, I, I don't think that clearly matters to <laughs> Margaret Cho. <laughs> uh, but uh, that's, that's my uh, bit about... Uh, okay. Them. So, anyway, thanks very much, uh, Brainy. Yep. Joey? Yes. You want to do uh, uh, a little Joey's Culture Corner? Yeah, sure. All right. <laughs> do you uh, actually have something? I do. I do. All have right. Uh, during the hiatus, the Trek was Five hiatus, <laughs> I took a Friday afternoon and took my children to go see the new Muppet movie. Oh, yeah. I loved that movie. I was a little worried going in because of Jason Siegel. Did I, is that, yeah. is that the guy's name? Okay. Um, I know he's been in some stuff that I didn't think was particularly amusing. 
I, I was worried about what how well his sense of humor would translate to the characters of the Muppets that I love so dearly. Um, I, I'll say there were at least three instances in the movie where I leaned over and whispered in my wife's ear, do you feel like I, wa- I wrote this movie? Or is that just me? And my wife said, no, I, that's totally a you joke. <laughs> uh, the, the, the premise, actually, it's, it's very cool because it's, it's a, a meta theme. So the premise of the movie is the Muppets are no longer famous. In order to save Muppet Studios, they have to get children to like them again. The kids in today's world don't know who they are. In fact, they have a, a little a young lady who's a Mexican, I think. Uh, anyway, some Latin Latina girl who's a pop star, some kind of musician. Um, oh, Christina Aguilera. No, not her. <laughs> Selena Gomez? Yes, that sounds right. Okay. That sounds right. Uh, she comes on and they're like, oh, uh, hi, who are you? you know, Kermit's like, hi, who are you? She's like, I'm Selena Gomez. I don't know who you people are, but my agent told me to show up here. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, the, the, the entire premise is, you know, we should still love the Muppets. They're still funny, they're still classical, and they're still wholesome. We should all be loving the Muppets. I, I wish that the Muppet Show would come, come back. back. Absolutely. I, I, I wonder if they're going to try and bring it back because the premise of the movie was to rebuild Muppet Studios so that the Muppet Show can go back on the air. And it made me wonder if they're going to try and tie that into bringing the Muppet Show back on the television. That would be great. I fond, fond memories of the Muppet Show on, you know, Saturday night. You know, after, after the bath, I get to go and watch the Muppet Show. I, I loved it. <laughs> I think the message should have been that the Muppets aren't CGI. They're, <laughs> they're real fuzzy creatures. Can I say something really quick about the Muppets that Pete's heard a million times? And... Sure. Okay. Uh, I, I have a friend who's, he's like the most kind of cynical, kind of one of the most just sort of bitter cynical people I know, but he loves the Muppets. It's like his favorite thing <laughs> in the world. Is, and he said a few years ago, um, it wasn't for the Muppet movie, but it was, like, before that, it was for something else. They were filming some kind of Muppet special or some kind of thing that they were doing. And um, he said he he got to watch the Muppets film this thing, and in between takes, the director would say cut and give direction. Apparently, in a Muppet production, he gives direction to the Muppets themselves. Okay. And the Muppets react in character as themselves. <laughs> like, to, like, That's what awesome. they need to be doing. And, and he said it was just a real treat. It kind of, you know, I guess it showed how seriously they kind of take this world and these characters. So I thought it was kind That's, of cool. That is cool. I, anyway, I, I really enjoyed the movie. There were three musical numbers that in that movie that were so memorable that my entire family was able to sing them right after watching the movie. Hmm. We were on the, on the tracks train the way back to our hotel we were able to sing them on the way back and we remembered the words because they were just that catchy of a song was it the Rainbow Connection? Rainbow Connection was one of them okay uh, then there was one a new song for the movie called Am I a Muppet or Am I a Man? <laughs> uh, Jason Siegel he has a little brother who is a Muppet he grows up his whole life with his little brother who's a Muppet <laughs> and at one point in the movie they each have to decide, am I going to try and live in the world of man and be a Muppet? Am I going to try and live in the world of Muppets even though I'm a man? And so they have a, a duet that's, am I a Muppet or am I a man? But then they also bring in a Muppet version of Jason Siegel and a human version of the Muppet character who's actually played by the guy from The Big Bang Theory. Okay. 
the little guy from the Big Bang Theory? The the really rude, the autistic one. Okay, Asperger's the, one. The Sheldon one. Yeah, Sheldon. The Cooper in a jar. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's why I pointed at you because <laughs> you you told me <laughs> who he was earlier. Okay. <laughs> um, anyway, and, and then they sing a quartet, and they ha- they're sitting at pianos, and it's it, it reminded me very much of like the old Elton John and jo- uh, George Michael where they get on their pianos and do a do a duet mm-hmm. kind of thing. The style of the of the music of that song was very much in that same kind of power ballad kind of style. Hilarious, hilarious song. And then uh, the opening and closing number, which is life's a happy song when there's someone by your side to sing along. And, and, and in fact, I've woken up every morning since I watched that movie with that song in my head. And it has made my mornings better. <laughs> Literally made my mornings better. Because it's like, it's just, you wake up to a, a cheerful song oh, in your mind. Oh, that's funny. You're a happy person now. <laughs> <laughs> because of the Muppets. <laughs> And Jason Siegel apparently, because he was also the writer of the movie. Yeah. So, hey, he's he's crazy about Muppets. That guy. It's kind of strange. Uh, I'm I'm really annoyed with the Muppet movie right now because um, it's the last week of the year, and so I've been cram. I've been going to every night. I've been going to a, a movie to get in my movie watching, so I can make my uh, so I can figure out what my so favorite. Do your movie Academy is. predictions. Yeah, I can do my <laughs> Academy predictions. I can make my top ten list, and you know, it's something I do every year. Um, but I. I haven't been able to get to the Muppets because the the showing is always like the last showing is always like at six PM because <laughs> it's the family movie. Yeah, and so I I couldn't go at all this week, and so I'm I'm not going to see the Muppets before the end of the year unless I see it tomorrow really quick. But I don't know if I will. I have always hated the Rainbow Connection song. Oh, I I've never enjoyed it, and that's a shame because it's like one of the most famous things about, about the Muppets. Yeah. It is that song, and I really cannot stand it. I'll also there is one other one that my my kids can sing. I when I left for work Tuesday morning because that's when I had to go back. Um, I got by so between Friday and Tuesday I had trained them to do this, and they did it all day long. And when I walked in the door, my wife said, "I am going in the bedroom and shutting the door, and you are dealing with these two kids because if I hear that Menomina song one more time, <laughs> I am going to kill someone." <laughs> Because I had trained JJ to do the do, 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 and Beth to do the manamana, and they walked around the house all day long, <laughs> alternating back and forth. Oh, we need to get you a bigger house just for Dee's sake, so we can send the kids off into some other area. Uh, that's funny. Anyway, I I love this movie. I think it works for both adults and kids. If you can remember the old Muppet Show, there's some really good callback jokes to that time, and if you can't. You just go and you enjoy it for, for what it is. It's good, clean, funny, humorous. I, I give it a big thumbs up. Hmm. Wow. You said thumbs yeah. up. Thumbs up. You normally just say thumb, thumb up. up. So I hmm. did this hand too. You just weren't looking because I talked with my hands. <laughs> I, I got dizzy from, from all of the movement. <laughs> the good thing I was sitting down. I didn't faint. By the way, Chris Cooper's rap song. Awesome. Okay. Blew me out of the water. Wasn't that his name, Chris Cooper? Yeah. Don't know. He's he's like an old guy, old white guy, and he does a rap song. It's hilarious. Well, then I look forward to uh, seeing it at some point then, because uh, I I dig the Muppets, and you could probably find the Muppets 
original television shows, mm-hmm. you could probably watch them, and I'd highly recommend it. They're great. I know the library in Orem, the local library has them, so you might check your local library and see if they have them on DVD. Oh, I thought you were going to say, Bob, Cy, you know, come if you, you, you want to go to the Orem library. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if they'll have it in the UK. I don't know what local libraries are like over there, but I'll bet you most the, libraries here in the US The trouble is, time. it's going to be a little dated, you know, sure. obviously, since it was done so long yeah, ago. you see Harry yep. Belafonte and... <laughs> And uh, I can't think of anybody else. <laughs> well, who's no, just Harry Belafonte, just constantly. He's who's, on there who's all day. Who's downtown? She was on it too. Uh, Patty Clark, right? Uh, is that it? Yeah, I think. Petula Clark? Petula, Petula Clark. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's yeah. that's it. Something like Anyway, I know she was on it. All right, well, jo- uh, Joey, thank you very much. Uh, that's a great um, uh, culture corner that you provided Thanks. to us. So good work on, uh, you know, having a family, going to Muppets. <laughs> All right, uh, let us proceed into episodes then. We are going to cover episodes 13 through 16 of Babylon 5, season 5. And uh, we'll cover the first episode, The Core is Mother. Joey, would you read the summary? That's not the episode title. Ah, it's close enough. Bester trains two psychop interns. Good summary. Thanks. Good summary. Um... I don't have many notes on this. I don't either. But I generally kind of liked it. Well, I enjoyed it, the sci-fi aspect of it. Okay. I'll say that. Right. I didn't love the episode itself. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think ultimately where this episode fails is it's an attempt to humanize Bester. And there's no yeah. way they can do that at this point. I don't they, see why they should. They, we, we cannot start to care about the character of Bester without throwing out everything we've been told for four seasons. I like him as a villain. Yeah. There's no reason to make him anything else. So I would have enjoyed seeing more duplicity out of Bester. Although we did see plenty of it. it I don't think we are going to walk away from this thinking, oh, you know, Bester's not that bad. He's not that bad of a guy. He's, they're, they're being mean to him. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the message we, they tried to give. I think it would have been a lot more effective if they didn't bother with humanizing him, but trying to humanize the two interns a lot more. Hmm. Uh, and and made them seem a little less naive and like more fully fleshed out. And then their lives would be a lot more tragic, but instead it was just kind of like, no, I don't really like them either. <laughs> I, I like the guy who played one of the interns, Reggie Lee. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in a show that was sadly canceled too early. Persons Unknown. I don't know if you guys ever watched that one. No. I really enjoyed that show. So when I saw him, I'm like, holy cow, he looks so young, but it, it's still so clearly that same guy. Um, I felt like the girl got turned on to Bester like way too fast. <laughs> and then the whole, well, I could give you a back rub. <laughs> the whole comma was just, like really, really weird. Although it was nice to see that they took her down the dark path really quickly. Yeah. And she, you know, she's supposed to be the sweet, innocent girl. And by the end, they're like, oh, what are we going to do with the uh, the mundane? Oh, well, I'll take care of I'll it. I'll space him. And then <laughs> next thing we see, the guy's like floating through space dead. Um, well, no, he wasn't dead. He was, he was gasping for air. He's grabbing at his throat. I prefer to think that he was dead because he was supposed to be... You know, unconscious. So the the drug that she they woke gave him, him up, yeah, and then no, pushed him out the airlock. Whatever. If you ever, um, one of my favorite stories that uh, Red ever told me is like his rudest awakening ever was when he was like sleeping on a houseboat 
and he fell off the houseboat. <laughs> I imagine being dumped into space might have a similar effect. <laughs> Maybe. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. <laughs> that would be so terrible. <laughs> did you did you guys recognize that girl? No. Yes. I don't know what she's from, but I've seen her before and I like her. Um she I I had to I just barely made sure, but she was in a little 1983 movie called National Lampoon's Vacation playing Audrey Griswold. You're kidding me. No. She grew up. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely grew up. Never seen that one. Um not the Christmas one, right? Not the Christmas one. Okay. That's the, the only one I've ever seen. So. Oh, I love the original. Okay, let's see here. Uh, a couple other points I wanted to bring up. Um the mind shredder. I like the idea that the training yeah like this is like pretty freaky stuff i like the idea of multiple personalities having different strengths of side yes i thought that was very brilliant i enjoyed that as well and i like the whole you know oh yeah we we haven't seen this for a while this is pretty cool and it i i think that it should totally be possible if you have the whole <coughs> excuse me if you have the whole multiple personality, why couldn't the other personality be just as you know powerful? Um, it it kind of brings a lot of questions on the I I don't know how to describe it. like the difference between the mind and the brain. <laughs> like uh, it like someone can have one brain but two minds, and the extent of the power going into the, it's not just like a mm. physical thing. Like this this telepathy is if it's if it's linked to personality it it brings up a whole new questions about like where it comes from and stuff what if same situation multiple personality one of them is the you know has the psychic ability mm-hmm. the other mundane. is a mundane yeah what do you think cycler does fun. do they try and kill off the other personality oh, yeah, they they think... repress it they'd go in They'd reprogram this person and they'd repress that mundane personality. They uh. they would probably space that person during those <laughs> times when that personality was present. What? How dare you be normal? Get out of here! <laughs> uh, did you catch that the Psychor have a secret mothership that floats around in hyperspace? I caught that. I rolled my eyes at that. <laughs> the mothership. Because uh, the core is mother. Yes, I know. That's why I rolled my eyes. I at didn't that. even pick up on that. <laughs> I mean, I like the idea of the fact that... I mean, it totally fits in with them that they're amassing their own secret force and they're, you know, they've got something out there, but still, it was goofy. Um, I was... I felt bad that they turned Zack into this really just a hateful kind of guy. Yeah. You know, he really doesn't care about the death of the Psychop. And I thought, that's... Really, I don't think that's the Zack that they've been trying to portray and present all of this time. I took it more as kind of a point of view thing. Since we're seeing the story from Bester's point of view, there, there's a, a tint on the lens of this is the way Best, Bester perceived every interaction with Zack. And that maybe if you flipped it around and saw it from Zack's point of view, it's he's much more conciliatory and, and concerned. And it's just that Bester, in Bester's mind... These people hate us. They're the mundanes. Right. Uh, agreed on that. But uh, I, I still, it, it would have been nice if Zach would have, you know, tried to argue him back a little bit more and say, no, 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 I really do care. Gotcha. That's just the way I perceive Zach, though. Okay. 
Uh, I'm out. I don't have anything else. Yeah. John? Really? Oh, um... Uh, probably my favorite line is, uh... I can't remember what Vester says, but, uh... She's cozying up to him, as, as she does throughout the whole episode. <laughs> and, uh... The first time she does it, I think he says, Oh, yeah, there is someone special, and if my wife yes. ever finds out about her... <laughs> so wouldn't it be nice if there were someone special? And like, yeah, and if my wife... <laughs> yeah, and, uh... And then he, like, chuckles to himself, and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, that was a private joke. To himself, I guess. Because <laughs> she was the only other person in the conversation. Uh, I thought that was pretty hilarious. And I, I, I kind of also got the feeling that, like, Vester was thinking, um, boy, I sure am glad it was the it was the dude who got killed of the two interns rather than the, rather than the pretty cute chick. And I know he was thinking that on the, on the flight home to the mothership. We were watching Tosh. Tosh Point o, is that how you say it? Yeah. Earlier. That's a horrible show, but it's it also is. my favorite it show. Was... Anyway, there was one part that I laughed at, which is he was he he went to talk with these girls that did a, something called a web redemption, where okay. I guess they go to people who made idiots of themselves yeah. on the internet and let them have a second <laughs> shot at it. And these two girls had done the risky business thing with the oversized men's shirt on, uh-huh. and one of them wrecked and bonked her head. <laughs> And, and, he's, and he, so he, they went back and they had him do the whole scene again. Then he says, she's 15. She's 15. That was my mantra the whole time we were there. She's 15. <laughs> <laughs> I think that best year was probably going through something similar. <laughs> okay, Pete, same fiction rating. No. Oh, we have comments. I thought that those were the only two emails we got. No, those are just the emails that I brought you up. You said we got two emails. I didn't say we only got two emails. The ex- the specification of the one is exclusionary of all others. No. Yeah. Look it up. Um, so, Moneybag says this. Hey, guys. Sorry, nothing from me this week. <laughs> I'm so glad we took the time out to read that. The holidays have been busy, and I don't remember enough of these episodes to review them from memory. Let's hope that's not a bad sign. Listener money bags. And also Brainy Smurf. Okay. <laughs> he says, Cora's uh, mother, but who's your tele-daddy? <laughs> Bester, yeah. When I used to live in San Diego, I was a bartender. I worked with a f- uh, kitchen full of Mexicans. Well, there were eight Mexicans, one El Salvadorian, and one Venezuelan, and a partridge in a palm tree. No, I seriously enjoyed working with those dudes. They were super fun, and although they didn't mean to do it, they constantly spoke in Spanish in front of me. I can't stand it when people who can speak English choose to alienate a person who does not speak their language. I knew an Italian girl from New York, and at the first family function she brought me to, I was the only Irish dude in the house. I was the only one who didn't look like uh, I... um, look like I pull of being an extra in Goodfellas. The old grandpa was adamant about not letting anyone speak in Italian around me. I was embarrassed yet humbled by the gesture of respect. But this is why Bester is such a jerk. He is not only making fun of mundanes all the time, right under their noses, he is constantly enjoying his own private sinister joke at the rest of the world's expense. Bester is a great bad guy. Sci-Fi 9, wow. TV 7. Hmm. A little high. 
feel like that might be a bit high. <laughs> Pete, why don't you tell us exactly how high by giving us your rating? Okay. Science fiction. Science fiction, from, as I said, from a science fiction, science fiction <laughs> aspect, I really enjoy this. I thought that idea of, you know, schizophrenic uh, telepaths. Uh, telepaths is fantastic. Multiple personality. Yes. Well, but, yes. sure, sure, sure. Still really cool. Uh, so I give this a seven. Uh, I give it a six. I I felt it needed a ding for the visualization of mind attacks as they were sitting there. The CGI Actually, on that I thought was pretty. Yeah, the CGI uh, was poor, but I still liked it because it kind of made it look like the Vorlons. And the shadow. No, no. Well, I don't remember what the other guy had. I I thought it was just like ice blocks around. I remember it. thinking it seemed like the shadow. I, I focused on the Vorlon side of it because it was the octopus legs flailing oh, out okay. and, and hitting yeah. the walls and so I thought oh my gosh that's totally like you know that's how the Vorlons programmed them to be I, I uh-huh. like that they gave it a shot but I think they failed ultimately so I gave okay. it a 6 uh, I gave it a 6 too um, mostly well it was all for the um, the multiple personality thing I, I think it's a really cool concept uh, it's something that was um, done I think in a pretty cool way in uh, the X-Men universe, if you've ever, ever read uh, New Mutants series, there's a character named Legion uh, who has multiple personalities, and each of those personalities has a different power, nice. depending on who's in control. Uh, he's a pretty unique character, so... Wow. Um, but, yeah, all of the sci-fi rating of six goes to just that one concept that I don't think... <laughs> that I think was a concept that wasn't done super well. They didn't really, you know, parse it out very much. It would be really difficult to plan a mission with that guy because you're like okay which power is going to show up and where do I put him yeah oh that guy's a nightmare <laughs> uh, for television I'm giving this a 5 but eh, maybe wow. I'm being generous maybe it should be a 4 really um, and it, I think most of it is when I saw the look that they gave the uh, the converted teep when you know hit the when he was the runaway and they had, you know, he's supposed to be looking like really haggard and crazy. Okay. They put that terrible wig on him. <laughs> it yeah, was yeah. clear that thing did not. Like, it was sitting in a box somewhere and they're like, oh, how can we make him look bad? Oh, here's this wig right there. Okay. <laughs> You're take take him on set, please. Do you think it was, um, I, and I didn't even think of this till now. Do you think it, it, it wasn't so much that um, it was just bad production value on Babylon 5, but it was bad production value on Psychor. <laughs> we were like saying, this is really right. how we found the guy. <laughs> no, we got to get a wig. we got to make this look sort of convincing, everybody, because this is propaganda here. I like that I, that little meta idea there. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, that's pretty good. Um, yeah, maybe I'm going to give this a four, but uh, yeah. Joey? I give it a three. I oh. think that the humanization attempt on Bester, I think that falls completely flat. And then the Special effects on when he attacks the guy in the hallway, and the guy's eyes turn all red and all that stuff. That scene was pretty yeah, rotten. you're right. I forgot about that. I'm giving it a three. I still don't remember that. You're better off not remembering. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go five, um, uh, mostly for the concept of the episode itself. If there's one thing Babylon Five I think needs more of, it's it's episodes that specifically stand alone on their own like you know have some kind of i don't i don't want to use the word gimmick but just kind of step away from the traditional narrative um and 
And yeah, non-arc is, is one thing, and also just, just a different method of storytelling, just the switch of, of perspective, you know, something I'm like, oh yeah, the Korra's mother, the Korra's father, I remember this episode. Most other episodes of Babylon 5, I'm like, okay, what happened in that? Is that where they're all, like, speaking as diplomats and they're worried about war? Is that that episode? You know? <laughs> um, and so I, you know, for that reason, um, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a bump up. I noticed it was directed by Stephen first. I don't know if this is his first First. I don't think so. I think it was in the fourth season. Okay. Um, but uh, I, I also liked how the opening credits were a little bit different to to comply with the different perspective in, in the show. So I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. Let me ask you this. I don't think I've ever asked before. Mm-hmm. Do you prefer, you know, standalone episodes or do you prefer the serialized episodes? Of Babylon Five, in, in, in tele- television in general, like if, if what do you gravitate more to? For television, I probably do prefer like the episodic nature of television. I like having um, you know getting to know these characters and having callbacks and stuff. I probably prefer the episodic episodic nature of it more than most people who like the kind of TV shows that we're talking about here, like. Um, like I'm, I'm a lot more into the episodic Babylon Five specific episodes kind of thing, and I was like, I know I'm that way with X Files a lot, uh, a lot more than most people, and I'm probably the only guy I know who liked the one episodic episode of Lost that everybody else hated. <laughs> uh, who the last was... one? The Nikki and Paolo episode. Oh, okay. Everybody, I, actually, I liked that episode. Okay, I'm glad. Okay. I'm glad because most people just despised it because it's like, oh, it has nothing to do with no- anything. Oh, why should I even watch that? I'm like, I think Lost earned an episode to stand on its own. It, it made everyone on the island a more real character. I think by stepping away from Jack and Locke, and, and that's and that's exactly what I think. Um, you know, and I was I was I was hoping you know that I could get some. Uh, that I can complain about, you know, some of the listeners and some of you guys in this room. <laughs> uh, like, like when there's like when a when Just a character, him, right? <laughs> well, mostly him probably. <laughs> you know, when, when there's something a little bit outside of the arc, um, a new alien race, a new something, you know, something that's just a little offset of the arc, and the comment is, they're not part of the arc, so I don't care about them, mm. and I don't like that. I, I don't like that way of of reacting to a specific television show because even in life even beyond our normal arcs there are episodic elements that branch off okay. from from the main thing that we're looking at and i think that only helps the main thing by having that comparison okay i i can definitely get behind that uh I, my gripe with babylon 5 is it's specifically supposed to be an arc one big arc mm-hmm. and so when it's not for me, it's that's where I get turned off well, I, by, by that stuff. I, I, I could argue with that, but the, you have to remember, I love Star Trek: The Next Generation, which is set in you know uh, you know one big one. world, but there are individual episodes mm-hmm. for the most part, and I I really really enjoy that. That's what I, that's one of the reasons I also like Doctor Who. Yes, it's still the Doctor. You know, he fights the Daleks, he fights the the Cybermen. Yet each one is an individual right, story. Uh, mo- <laughs> Sorry, were you saying something? <laughs> oh, give us your stupid P5 rating then. 8.42. Moving on to our next episode, Meditations on the Abyss. Delen- Delen goes behind Sheridan's back with Lanier. Huh. 
awkward for all of us. Uh, I didn't dig this episode. Yeah, I, I don't like the much. way Jalen is using Lanier at this point. I, I think mm. it, I think there's no way that she doesn't know how he feels at this point. Yeah, agreed. because she's and she's man- using it to manipulate him. Well, well yeah, well, she's like fondling his face. <laughs> yes. Yes. She knows what she's doing. She's using feminine uh, wiles, and it's absolutely yeah. It was inappropriate. I've never heard someone say it like that before. Fondling his face. <laughs> I of think, all the things that get fondled, one's face just it really isn't high on the list. Well, did you feel, did you think that there was some kind of, like, something a little bit sexual about the way she was talking to him? Yes, I did. Yeah. Pete, did I, I kind of see it now. At the time when I watched it, I didn't really get that. I just thought, why is she being so emotional about this? Look, it's a mission that needs to get done. For some reason, she clearly trusts him. Mm-hmm. I think it's not that big a deal. I don't see why... She, you know, Sheridan's been a, a captain of a massive starship. I, I don't see why it's that difficult for him to be able to send somebody into a difficult mission. Even if he knows them really well. Yeah. I, 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 I don't buy that. Yeah, I see your point. But on the other hand, it, it's different when you're sending your friend into battle than it is when you're sending your wife's friend into battle. It's different being even to the extent of being brutally honest with your own friends and being brutally honest with your wife's friends. <laughs> I, that's one I can speak to from personal experience. It's not something you do. You just don't just don't do it. Okay, I'll I'll take your advice on that because clearly I have none to give. Um, here's what one of the things that continues to frustrate me. Why is everyone so worried about Lanier's training? He's a grown man. Yeah. <laughs> Let him make his own decision. It's not as though he's some kid who just graduated high school. Well, it's because Bill Mooney looks like a little kid. <laughs> he does. He kind of looks like a baby. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. <laughs> Danger. That would have been awesome if they had pulled that out yeah. in one of the episodes. That would be cool. What do you, you guys, there's this line, uh, Delenn says to Lanier, he loves me, but or he knows me, but he also loves me, and sometimes the one gets in way of in the way of the other. I, I, I thought about that line. I, I have a little bit of a problem with it because if you love them, I don't know. I guess it's just I guess it's a syntactical issue with the way that she's using love there. Love as in smothering, not necessarily love as in loving you as a grown adult and understanding that you're capable of dealing with your own issues and I don't have to shield you from oh no you can't ever let your feelings get hurt you know just it it just kind of bugged me yeah it's the same smothering thing that I see with the whole training stuff just back off yeah let him make his own decisions very to McDonald's make 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 what is it make berries (laughs) with the yeah the golden skulls or something like that why didn't they just use McDonald's? Uh, this is lawsuit. So terrible. Mm. It tastes so great going down. Coming up again? Not so much. <laughs> I identified it as McDonald's from that. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> have you ever seen Super Size Me? I haven't. I'd like to sometime. Most people said it made them never want to go to McDonald's again, but it made McDonald's look really good to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. The Drazi suspect the Centauri... Of the of the attacks, um, so somehow you know 
I don't know what evidence we seem to have of this, but it's out there. Whatever. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Then we have the whole testing of Lanier and Findel. Am I saying that? Lindell, Findel, Lanier, and Findel. I didn't write his name down. Oh well. Um, that kind of got a little old, but then again, I don't know. I guess I. I've always thought of the Mimbari as one note. Okay. Or I guess there's two notes. Um, the warrior cast and the religious cast. And, well, we basically just see the religious cast all the time. So in my mind, that's all I ever think of the Mimbari. And so when we see something else, I... Uh, I, don't, I hate to say it bristles me, but I... I well, I, I think it's clear that he is supposed to be a worker cast. That was the calling of his heart. Worker cast? Really? Yeah. With the way his skull was shaped, I totally got warrior cast from him. I, I think he probably comes from a warrior cast lineage, but his emotional makeup, to me, spoke hmm. of worker cast. Oh, all right. That there wasn't an attempt to disdain those who perform manual labor. <laughs> I have my own ways of doing that. Uh, I... I was a little bit irritated that the uh, listening device stuck in the bottom of the grocery bag. Did that bother anybody else? That was just... The prop master should have been fired for that scene. <laughs> that was so poorly done. It had scotch tape over it. I don't know if you guys noticed that. <laughs> I don't think I did. <laughs> it's like, okay, first of all, really? Scotch tape? In 2261, we're still going to be using scotch tape to affix things together? I'm sure, it'll, of all, I'm sure it'll beat out newspapers. <laughs> Second of all, listening devices are still the size of a dollar, a silver dollar in 2261? Well, the drowsy kind are, at least. They couldn't buy a good listening device from some other race? It probably recorded in Wave and not MP3 and <laughs> really good quality. It's the drowsy. They're idiots, remember? That's true. They are the galactic punching bag. Uh, let's see here. I did... One of the few things I really did like about this episode was Jakar's... Um, conversations where he answers about God. Described it as a non-local phenomenon. Yes. Yeah. I, I noticed that. And But it was the whole idea of someone saying, oh, yes, that's great. I understand that. And then he asked the exact same question again. And Jakara has to say, uh, okay. Um, truth is a river. Truth is a river. But what is God? Um... The mouth of the river, or something like yes, that. Yes, that's what he said. And it was like, oh, oh yes. yes, yes. And you could just see the look on Shakar's face of, oh, for the love of, these people are <laughs> idiots. Uh, I enjoyed that. I, I, I enjoyed that. Now, Jakar's um, analogy of God is not the light on the wall, but the the light, is, it shows his influence or something like that. Is that taken from somewhere? It was earlier in Babylon 5 when Lanier and Delenn were describing okay. their view on God to, I think it was to Sinclair. But yeah, it might have I been don't remember who. Uh, they just, I think it's Lanier who says, God is a non-local phenomenon. And he's like, wait, what does that mean? Like, well, you know, you have the wall and you shine the flashlight. The wall is not the source of the light. Mm -hmm. But it is how we perceive the light. That, okay. So that was... Well, that's how it's familiar. But that's interesting because it's... It, like Lanier and Jakar came up with sort of this this truth independent of each other right. kind of thing. Yes. Okay. Or they both got it from the Vorlon. Okay. 
<laughs> or they both got it from Straczynski. <laughs> um, let's see here. Yoda would have had a big problem with this episode. Lanier says, it's not necessary to know. It is only yeah. necessary to try. Yeah, I, I get that. How can you fly in the face of everything Yoda has taught us, Kaczynski? Uh, Fendel wants to commit suicide because he realizes, I can never possibly be this good and I don't want to go back home to my family um, as a failure. Yeah. That's what made me think he's warrior cast. Or one of the things. Uh, I liked Montoya, the captain. I, I don't know why. I just thought he was a like good actor. Thought yeah. it was a good part. Liked it. I like the way he chooses to deal with the situation. I'm going to take you and I'm going to put you in a recruiting office. You'll know exactly what to look for. <laughs> I thought that was good. A good way to deal with that situation. What? I didn't have anything else to say. I, I oh. For some reason, it didn't really... You didn't, you didn't I, that well. bugged me. Montoya bugged me. That, that <laughs> thing bugged me. The 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 let's uh, um, the, the the ranger garbage about uh, oh yeah let's just send him out here and it's like oh no the real test is is you know whether or not you you know think to meditate like that I I, I have like the great respect for the rangers and if I was on Babylon Fire I would consider joining them but if they pull garbage like that in the training <laughs> it's like Kobayashi Maru of the rangers Kobayashi Maru is very different than you know a life and death situation Kobayashi Maru is just like okay what would you do here you test a personality. And there is a, an awareness that it's a test. But anytime, like, someone takes your real life and applies it, like, invades your own life for the purposes of their test, I hate that. Interesting. Uh, Plus, the, the Kobayashi Maru had no right answer. This one, as we come to find out from Montoya, the right answer was to do exactly what Linear yeah. did. I, I was just trying to make John agree with me, and I thought if I pulled Star Trek out that he... <laughs> Almost, almost. But yeah, no. As Pete pointed out, Kobayashi Maru is the exact opposite of what was illustrated in this episode. Um, and last note I had was that uh, Garibaldi is drunk again. I think the episode ended in a happy way, at least, right? <laughs> he seemed to really be happy for the first time in a long time. Yeah. Uh, I, there's nothing to fear in death except the failure to complete our assigned mission. Death is not the enemy. Death simply is. I, I like that. that. Mm. I like that. I, I, I'm very comfortable with that idea that we we shouldn't be afraid or hate death. You know, we not, not, don't necessarily need to be seeking it or looking forward to it or causing it. But, you know, it, it's just a fact of life and we do everything we can in the meantime. I'm okay with that. Okay. There's nothing wrong with death. There's something wrong with killing. Yeah. Line from Iron Giant or something. No killing. You go. Or you stay, I go. No killing. Something like that. No, no following. No I following. never saw it. I only heard the line. Oh, you never saw the line. The Iron I've heard it's amazing. I hear it's amazing. It's not amazing, but it's good. It's, it's really, really good. good. I've, I've it's it solid. Yeah. Uh, before we move on, just what do you think about lying to cover someone's incompetence? Would you do it? Lie to cover a friend to keep help him keep his job? I have been doing that for the better part of three years now. You said that on the record. <laughs> no, about you. Oh, three years. The last three oh, years of this okay. podcast. I, I thought you were talking about something else. <laughs> uh, no. Um, I don't know. It depends on the severity of it and what it affects. Clearly, 
Um, Montoya saw through it, so no harm, really. Okay. What about you, Joe? Um, would I do it? Yeah. Yes. Do I think it's wrong to do it? Yes. yes. <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm more concerned about, uh, about my relationship with people than I am my own moral code, obviously, but... Uh, so, uh, but I mean, I, I I would do it just out of a sense of my own insecurity. But I don't think it's the way to go. I think I think you shouldn't do that. Okay. I I think it's horrid, and I would never do it. I wouldn't cover for either of you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it smacks of the you know, allow a lie to to happen. Well, no, it's allowing incompetence to persist. Oh, incompetence. <laughs> Even if the if it's not like an outright, like, the person just made a mistake. Not a continual line of, like, this guy, he clearly didn't have it in him. We, right. we could see that there was a line of, of showing that he was incompetent. Whereas somebody else who just makes a mistake. I might help you, you fix the mistake, cover. but I wouldn't cover for you. I might help you fix the mistake. I might help you even phrase how you're going to confess the mistake so that maybe you soften the landing a little bit. But I'm not going to cover for you. All right. Note to self. <laughs> don't ever tell Joey about the crimes I've committed. <laughs> no, no, no. We're talking about mistakes, not crimes. There's a difference. <laughs> oh, you're going to have my back on that one. All right, cool. Thanks. Uh, I don't have anything else. Co comments? Listen to comments. John? John's got something. Uh, no, I don't have anything else. Okay. Uh, Brainy Smurf says, Meditations on boringness. <laughs> Nothing, including the CGI, dates this show like the music. For instance, when Delenn meets Lanier at the bar, I think there was a song played by, uh, playing by CNC Music Factory. <laughs> if you were going to have a show about the future, I would hope that the music would be slightly creative and decidedly unlike the artificial industrial rhythms of the 90s. But that was probably low on the list of Season 5 tribulations to overcome. This, uh, and speaking about the horrible elements of Season 5, we have Garibaldi the whiny drunk. Is Lanier's ranger captain named for Inigo Montoya from The Princess Bride? I thought that. I didn't, I didn't even put that together. I take the what is truth and what is God seen to be interesting. I believe it is our sense of wonder that propels our thoughts, and this sentiment is in direct contradiction to biological evolutionary progress. This paradox is composed of equally independent forces and is a simple way to understand confusing things. Well, it's nice to see Lanier. I have decided that in my version, Ever since the Day of the Dead, Lanier continues to see and converse with Morden. <laughs> Their ongoing back and forth could represent the two sides of Lanier's soul that are tenuously struggling to defy the balance and middle way grayness. Uh, Sci-Fi 5, TV 4, Brainy version 9.5. <laughs> Uh, Why wouldn't he write himself a ten version? <laughs> this is uh, laziness. <laughs> he's, he's human. He's recognized oh, he? as humanity. Uh, talking about the God stuff, um, I happen to have watched the... The only reason I bring this up is because John is here. 
um, the Futurama episode mm-hmm. where Bender was flying through space and becomes God. No, not dang. that. Oh, dang. But uh, that might be a good one. That's a good one. No, it was where um, Professor Farnsworth talks about. Oh, there is no God. It's it's all evolution. And the ape professor, <laughs> who speaks yeah. completely well, he's like, no, there is no evolution. It is God. And so Farnsworth, he like manages to create life. Mm-hmm. These robotic life. These nanobots that over a ridiculously fast amount of time within like a couple of days transcend from just being this nanobot to these beings of you know awesome glory Mm -hmm. and like they are you know he basically says i'm your creator i'm your god i created you you know two days ago and they're like that's completely blasphemous and they hold this trial against him and you know it completely flips the whole argument around that he and the ape had been having yeah and whatnot i thought wow what, what a great conversation that you know would be to have about god <laughs> and yeah that's fun that's a great episode it was i'd like to watch that one yeah you are not allowed uh joey science fiction uh science fiction i think it's generous to give this one a three in science fiction i kind of not a lot there I, I thought it deserved a little bit more okay. than that but john uh, really quick i want to respond to brain smurf slightly uh, I actually like the music sequence at the beginning. Maybe that makes me lame. <laughs> I don't know, but I thought, you know, I, I didn't really think the music was that cool or anything, but I thought it was, like, used pretty well, like, editing-wise and, you know... I think it's a WKRP kind of situation where they actually couldn't license the music that played during the real episode, and so they just cut in some random music track that they had laying around. <laughs> yeah. But I, I wish that more people would use symphony music i i think that is much more powerful medium for music i i, I kind of agree with him on the dating stuff i i because i think well on this particular one it, it, it i think for the scene and for like what needed to be accomplished like audio wise it kind of had to be something something with a beat you know with, with, with the it would have been a little bit harder to do it with like sort of a symphonic thing and also like what we're going to be listening to 300 years from now just put something we're listening to now. Because if we try to think, oh, what we're going to listen to 300 years from now, it's going to sound way lamer, especially 10 years from now. When we look back and we're like, oh, we thought that we were going to listen to this. I think it may as well go modern, or may as well go contemporary on it, because you're going to fail if you try to think of what's going to happen in the Good future. Good point. I agree with you there. Thank you. Uh, look, at the, look at the whole, like, the silver skin outfits and the the razor blade cars and... I, I'm still waiting for the silver jumpsuits to happen. I'm holding out. Yeah, hope. I am a okay with the jumpsuits. The, the, we're, we're making progress. Just wait until you see what my ponce looks like in my silver jumpsuit. You guys will change your minds. Well, you guys realize that we are making progress toward that point with the new um, product that I was going to buy myself for Christmas called the Forever Lazy Blanket. Yes, you seen those? Yes. No. It's it's just it's it's like a snuggie, but it's like an entire jumpsuit, like with a zipper with legs and everything. Oh yeah, I, I saw that thing two months ago and I thought oh my gosh what have we done to ourselves I think we're stepping in the right direction toward the silver jumpsuits is what I think and anyway I'm going to get those I'm going to give it a full report on it how comfortable it is and everything. excellent uh, sci-fi uh, I'm going to give it a four um, completely for the um, eye surgery sequence of Jakar getting his new eye hmm. uh, I love that sequence Good where call. they actually jam it in in like Dr. Franklin is like looking at it and you can see like 
what the eye is viewing on the TV screens and everything. So Yeah, that is cool. Um, I thought that was a little unfair to go three. I actually felt like this was a six. Just wow. a little bit above average on, on the sci-fi range. Okay. Uh, for television, I gave it a six. I think that there's some good stuff with Jakar and uh, the, the stuff with Lanier getting to go out kind of on his own and, and get away from being tied at the hip to Sheridan and Delenn all the time. I thought that mm-hmm. was good to develop that character a little bit. Okay. Television. Uh, I gave it a four. It was really boring. And I didn't like the test that he had to do. <laughs> uh, I'm going to actually go with you. I had originally written a five, but I think you're right, John. A four. There, It's just <laughs> terrible. The P5 rating is 8.21. Moving on to our next episode. Darkness Ascending. Lanier discovers hard evidence about the source of the cargo ship attacks. I actually really like this episode. Do you think Lita caused the nightmare? That was my question as well. <laughs> uh, I've never decided, I've never come to a conclusion. And you've never been able to get an answer? I haven't. Uh-uh. Wow. That seems like one of the ones that should have been asked. And answered? Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so Garibaldi's having nightmares about failing, which... Okay, those are real nightmares to me, and I I think to you as well, Joey. Um, And the whole thing with Lita showing up there, she's like, I've never really, you know, tried out these powers. I've never really pushed the the balance here. Um, So I'm doing that now. Oh, yeah, you shouldn't ever remember this. Go back to sleep. That was cool. I liked that. I've actually had that dream before with Lita. No, I mean, <laughs> with the person pointing at me saying, oh, that's, that's... You failed me! Where were you when I needed you? I've had that dream many times. Uh, all I heard was, uh, Joey is dreaming about Lita. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And her infinite pleasure thr- threshold. Oh, oh, man, oh, we're, oh. we're skipping around too much. No. <laughs> I wanted to get there. Uh... <laughs> well, okay, that's a that's a fair goal for everyone to try for, John. I don't know why people wouldn't. Anyway, um, the dream though, Garibaldi's holding. Is that a PPG that he's holding? I think so. Yeah. Um, is it just like is it a PPG that knocks out starships or what is that? Thing? It's the thing that he was armed with in the flash forward that Sinclair got. In War Without End Part 1. Really? Yeah. It's like, a, I guess, a PPG Gatling gun. Yeah. yeah. It, it, I think it's just more an, more more powerful blast and more ammo, I hmm. think, is the, the sense of it. Mm, okay. Uh, Jerry Doyle does a pretty convincing job of acting like a drunk, like an alcoholic. <laughs> yes. Stumbling around. No, I mean like well, the, well done, Jerry the, the, the the lying and the manipulation of how he gets people to still trust him and things like that. Uh, it, it, having interacted with a lot of alcoholics, I have to say it was I found it very well well done, true to form. Apparently, you know the, that's where Jerry Doyle's skill set lies. So. <laughs> Congratulations! <laughs> uh, the whole do not reply. Um, I don't know if you guys remember this. Lanier and Montoya have a conversation where Lanier says that he picked up a conversation or picked up a message that was like, do not reply, and then some coded sequence. Uh, that whole conversation is actually almost a direct lift of a similar conversation in Pat Frank's A Last Babylon, which is uh, about after World War Three, 
I did it as a as a culture corner. Mm-hmm. I remember. I know Straczynski has read it because he talks about how he considers it a really good book, and I don't know if it was an homage or if it was unintentionally <laughs> committing plagiarism. Because it's it's what's the difference at that point? Well, it, really, it's just intent. Are you doing it right? That's what I'm saying. I don't know. I don't know what the intent was. I don't know if but, it was. Accidental. But does he get in trouble? For one, well, I think Pat Frank is dead. So I don't, okay. I don't think so if, to get him so the, the real question is: if someone calls him out on it. Is he spry enough on his feet to say, "Oh no, no it was an homage"? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I just wonder if, like, if he's since gone back and gone, "Oh man, that was not right." I sort of. <laughs> well, he obviously it. hasn't because you don't know. I don't know every single thing Jamie Nicholson's he's ever thought. Unfortunately, I assumed you did. <laughs> well, well, I think that this podcast would be more interesting if I did. We're not there quite yet. Yeah, it'd be really great if we could just replace you with Straczynski. Hey, if you can do it, I will sit here silently and press record and edit. <laughs> uh, okay, so Sheridan learns about Lanier. Yep. As. Huh. As Lita was going through the the difficulty that she was doing, I wrote down the line, "Why don't the tele- Why don't the telepaths talk to the Narn?" And yeah. like thirty I, seconds later, then the whole I did the Narn exact thing. same did you? thing. I did the exact same thing. I wrote it down. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. But here's I, I I don't understand that question just about the Babylon Five universe. Like the telepaths, all of the telepaths are under all of these strictures that they have to abide by but i mean it's a free market in the whole galaxy why aren't all the rogue telepaths just working for aliens yeah jingoism really that's enough there's enough of that i mean it seems like their value would be enough but or is it like they're kind of racist against they would be ostracized even even if you even if you could get over your own jingoism i I don't have a better term for it because that's kind of nationalist but planetism Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Racism, I guess, after a fashion. Uh, even if you could get past your own, I think there'd be enough of a stigma about it to prevent people from actually doing it in in the society that we see. Yeah, I, I think it would. I think it just has to be illustrated a little bit better because it seems like everybody gets along. Like all the civilized people seem to get along okay, as far as you know, especially when they have a, a, a something common that they that could help each other. I just still don't understand. I mean, they were offered something by Garibaldi, and then they just clearly turned against it. Mm-hmm. But now it seems like, I guess, yeah, I'm, I'm skipping ahead again, so sorry, John. But <laughs> they're saying to the Narn, yeah, okay, we'll do whatever you want. Well, Byron turned against it, right? And the people under Byron. Lita is now in charge, and she is not quite the same as the rest of them. The Vorlons have done something to her. She was always a little more amicable. I don't know if that's the right word, but it gets the sense of what I'm trying to say. So I, I think it's just the style of leadership that's in play. Hmm. That's that's could could be. I I love the fight between Sheridan and Delin, uh, especially <laughs> because of the yeah. line when Sheridan's like, you know, I have been working up a good mad at you all day, and I am not about to let you derail it. I, I have felt that way sometimes. There have been times where I'm just like, I am so mad at a person, and then they say something, and I realize I was wrong the whole time. But I am still mad, and I, I just, I still want. To <laughs> well, in this case, it was kind of the opposite, though, because she said, "You're right," 
Because she she completely diffuses the argument. That's one of the things that I remember from the speech class that I took. For the most part, that speech class I took in college, massive waste of time. Because I had just come home from my mission. I kind of had public speaking down by that (laughs) point. And the teacher talked about, okay, like, one of the interesting things is you can completely diffuse a situation by getting in front of it and just saying, admitting that, you know... What, what was wrong in, in that situation. And totally right. Matter of fact, I saw it in a MASH episode. As you were talking about it, it reminded me of a MASH episode where Colonel Potter is like really, really mad about something and starts to yell at uh, um, Nurse uh, Hot Lips. Okay. And he, she's like, yes, I know, Colonel, I'm, I'm wrong about this. I'm, I, I made a mistake. And he's like, how can you... I've been working on this thing for like the whole day, and now I can't even yell at you about this. And yeah, you know, it just reminded me completely about it. It's absolutely true. The trouble is, most people are so incredibly emotional about everything that they fail to allow logic to dictate and help them see. Okay, I'm wrong on this. Let's just admit it. Allow my emotions to you know fall by the wayside. Gotcha. Mm. That's what you should do more often. Okay. With, with your wife. No, I, I was not referring to with my wife. I I don't yell at my wife. No, I don't think you yell at your wife, but you should, you know, admit that you're wrong more oh, often. Oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> when, when I'm wrong, I admit it, Pete. When I'm wrong. <laughs> but how do you know? <laughs> uh, I love the conversation between Dylan and... Or Dylan. Between Lita and Jakar. Between Dylan and Lita, <laughs> that's what I almost said. It really changes that whole conversation around, doesn't it? Sure does. <laughs> uh, especially when Lita says, well, I accept your proposition. And you get kind of that beat from Jakarta. He's like, which part? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was awesome. I thought that was well played. I, I, I kind of like it because it's almost like a back and forth. Like, which one of them is more sexually dominant than the other one. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're, they're kind of playing... Because Jakar comes off, and I wish they did this a lot more. Like, we saw it in the earlier seasons a lot more, right? Like, where it's kind of implied that he's just this icon of sexuality. Yes. All these girls from yep. all of these different alien races want to be with Jakar. Um, and so he... Um, so he pulls out that swagger at the beginning of the scene, but by the end of the scene, it's obviously her who's yeah. on top, so yeah. to speak. <laughs> uh, however, I think the pleasure threshold joke has probably played itself out at this point, and oh, they can stop bringing yeah, it Yeah, that is terrible. Uh, but Lita does agree to give up her genetic material, as well as all of the other telepaths for ships and money. And uh, yeah, the silly test at the end with uh, Jakar was... I didn't like that. I almost yeah, expected I... him to do a slow clap. Congratulations. The <laughs> test was to stand up to me. I like that idea in general, but I don't think it played well here. Okay, so here's one thing that frustrated me, and I'm hoping maybe you can explain it. They go on about how, oh, Lanier really is the right choice for this. He knows the Centauri so well. Mm-hmm. Exactly what type of experience has he had with Centauri beyond Veer and Londo? 
why is it that he, above all other rangers, <laughs> he has the most experience with the Centauri? As far as rangers go, there is a chance he knows two more Centauri than all of them. <laughs> it's true. That is true. But my, my thought is, certainly, someone must have been out there amongst, like, didn't they have spies at some point on Centauri? You know, it seems like they should have done that. Why is it that, that Lanier is the one who's supposed to know everything about it? In my mind, I think it's just a bad plot device. Mm -hmm. That we're just, look, we need an episode about Lanier. Let's get out the big shoehorn. Uh, oh, he slides right in just fine. <laughs> it probably here. would have been better if they just said, you know what, Lanier... He's just the best guy we got. I like that argument a lot better. Yeah. I like, you know, he's clearly very experienced, very smart. We trust him to make sure the job gets done. That would have been really good. Like, yes. He knows the mind of the command level. Yeah. To the extent that no other ranger is going to. They should have said this line. They should have said, there are many other rangers who know this Antari better, but there's no one we know better than Lanier to mm. do this. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I, all of those... I like much better than what they did with this episode. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when... Uh, I think it was in this episode... when I think it was when Jakar and Lita were reminiscing. And they bring up Catherine Sakai and how she disappeared. Was that yes, it was this episode because I had a I question so. about that. So, here's what happened, just in case anyone's curious. Yes, I am. Catherine Sakai became one of the first human ranger acolytes. So she was training under Sinclair to be a ranger. And there is an, <laughs> there is an undisclosed mission, not an episode, but one of the novels that is <laughs> okay. considered canon by Straczynski. One of the novels, Sinclair and... Oh, who was it? Marcus and Sakai, Catherine Sakai are going to Sector 14, where the time, time rift is. Uh -huh. And Catherine Sakai gets sucked back into time. She is Valen's wife. And the, the the mother of all the offspring of Valen, the children of Valen that are running around. Hold on, so the triangle things change her too? She gets changed as well. Oh, I don't like that. I... <laughs> yeah, I don't dig that either. They, 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 they find each other in time. I, I mean, I, I like that they <laughs> bring the character needed that somewhere in time. I kind of I like the idea of Valen, you know, coming from the outside, but that he actually like marries a, a, a another man. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I like that idea. And, and I haven't read the novel, but I I found a reference to it, and I was like, huh. Well, that's what she's because I always did wonder what happened to her. She just they kind of just stopped writing her when Sinclair left. But but I mean, it is so the line that they talk about Sakai is it in reference to the novel? Yes. Like, had it been written by this point, kind of thing? Yeah. Okay. Wow, that is very, very interesting. Uh, okay, so another question I have. Lanier, he goes off on his own, you know, following the signal, goes into the meditative trance. He comes out, he latches onto the Centauri vessel. Yes. Which, okay, fine, apparently they have a stealth mode. What? It's okay, fine, we have stealth, great. He manages to attach himself to the hull so gingerly that any amount of sensors aboard the Centauri ship are not going to pick him up. 
Okay, fine. He just, he latches on. Maybe it's magnetic. Yep. And then he is able to actually send something into the Centauri ship to the point that he can get oxygen. Or he's able to find a structural weakness that he can exploit and get some oxygen through it. Yeah. Okay, so let's just say that everything can line up. He lands perfectly in the exact right spot. Well, the computer did that. Okay, because the computer knows Centauri ships so well. Yeah. Okay. The Centauri <laughs> ship doesn't notice when Lanier's ship drills into it. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, that's completely normal to have those vibrations coming from, you know, that section. No, it just sent some cable sneaking around and up a... Up a... <laughs> it showed this thing, like, the arm yeah, coming out and going... <laughs> I hate that. Come too. on! No, I, I, the, the, I've heard people argue before. They're like, "Well, the ship would register the drop in air pressure." I'm like, "No, with how tiny Lanier's ship is, they wouldn't register the drop in air pressure." But certainly, someone would notice. Do you hear a drilling sound? <laughs> <laughs> you know, got some maintenance guy walking down the hall, pushing his little floor scanner that nobody knows what it does, and he's like, "That's odd. I hear a drilling sound." <laughs> would you hear? You wouldn't hear it. There would be, there would be vibrations. I, I would think that the sensor should pick something up like that. You know, if, if we can register, you know, the pressure on the hull, then we should be able to register something like that. And so, okay. Um, a last note I really had uh, is Delenn hugs Londo and Garibaldi is a mess. Yep. I wanted to talk a little bit about um, uh, Garibaldi because this is the one where Lise comes back, right? Uh, yes. <laughs> I, I was surprised um like that she found the bottle um because i would have thought that what are the odds that she came in and there weren't just bottles everywhere yeah um so because i he doesn't really seem to be hiding it hiding it at all (laughs) um but uh my favorite character in probably these four sets of of episodes is the worst waiter ever <laughs> like no no sir i'm talking about booze you know drink drink glug glug you know <laughs> and then and then he John, actually you and i need to go out to dinner more often you haven't seen truly bad waitering i seem to attract them <laughs> okay yeah no i'd love that um but the best part of of this waiter is um is how he actually had the audacity to say oh you did mean booze after all when he just comes across Garibaldi. And I was expecting that waiter to be brutally murdered later that night. Just, I mean, just the smuggest, most incompetent, most non-listening person ever. Um, and uh, I really felt for Garibaldi. I thought he was going to murder that guy. It does seem weird that... Uh... You know, in the future, this guy, you know, won't have ever heard of an alcoholic. You know, someone who has trouble with drink <laughs> and he's still trying to push it on to him. Well, I, I don't know why. Coffee, yes, for after. But what do you want to drink? I'm like, so, do they eat coffee in 2260? <laughs> how is that not something to drink? Why did that not satisfy the request the first time around? Agreed. Uh, anybody else? Anything? No. Comments, then. Uh, Brainy Smurf says, A ascending darkness in the web. 
The A story is more like an F-plus story. <laughs> <laughs> and, okay, it's nap time. Garibaldi is starting to drink again, and, insert yawning here, it's really... Uh, Matic, because Lise has come back to the station and now they have to reconcile their collective lameness and I am asleep. The B story, Lanier, sadness descends. I enjoyed his super secret agent mission and Delenn is getting better at lying. The next B story, The Adventures of Lita and the Narn Prophet, wouldn't someone as enlightened as Jakar realize that creating a race of Narn telepaths would only result in derision and alienation for the yeah. very people he is trying to save from themselves? Yes, he knows this and has no intention of manipulating his species. He just wants to score with Lita. <laughs> Londo and Veer are confused. It is an interesting line when Londo says, Everyone is mistrusting. It's the natural order of things. How far has Londo really journeyed in his soul-searching? Maybe he is ultimately a pessimist, but a but think he could have a but I think he could have a great career as a stand-up comic. Spin-off? <laughs> he could be the Rodney Dangerfield of the Sunflower people. <laughs> I have always thought of Londo as a cross-hybrid of the Rodney Dangerfield of Rodney Dangerfield, the Count from Sesame Street, and of course Captain Crunch. <laughs> I'm not sure who the, the Captain coat. Crunch. The coat. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, yeah. Sci-Fi Seven TV TV Three minus one point for each storyline that is not Garibaldi based. Um, <laughs> wait, minus one? Maybe he just means one point for each storyline. Probably that is, it's a separator, not a yeah. <laughs> And, by the way, no waiter ever argues with someone over their drink choice. That's not true. And special <laughs> coffee is, in this future, alcoholism would be biologically dealt with by this point in history. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. I've had waiters do worse things than that to me. Really? Yes. Can I guess? Yeah. Do they throw the drink in your face? No. Did they spit in the drink right in front of you? No, I've never had one do that. I've had one tell me, don't you think you're a little heavy to be ordering soda pop? You should probably drink some water. I don't believe that yeah. story. Yeah. Why would a waiter ever talk someone out of getting... Uh, yeah, you know. drinks are one of the things that restaurants yeah. usually make the most money yeah. on. Because the waiter was... Hellbent on being rude to me. I don't. Like I said, I attract these people. I don't know why. Well, I don't know. In fairness to the waiter, you are pretty obese. <laughs> How heavy was the waiter? She was a thin girl, actually. It was a woman as well. Oh, so she has. It was a reverse anorexic. I can kind of see this. She emasculated you as well. Like everyone else is. Everyone else uh, is obese. Anytime I go out to eat by myself, I always get comments from waiters. You really, you couldn't find anybody, no, I won't say always, but I frequently get, you couldn't find anybody to come to lunch with you? <laughs> Things like that, or comments like, you know, wow. oh, you know, where's your wife? Why didn't you bring your wife with you? I'm like, what business is of yours? Just bring my food. Okay, next time they ask that, just say, 
she died. <laughs> and watch it make them no, uncomfortable. No. Or or give her uh, give her a terrible disease. I just left her from the hospital. We we think she might pull through. She she's out in the car. <laughs> we had an argument. She's not allowed to come in until she admits I'm right. <laughs> also, I'm meeting the woman I'm having an affair with here. Uh, all right, that was all fun. Uh, John, sci-fi, sci-fi. Um, I don't know five. <laughs> I think that this is sci-fi. So even though it was kind of done poorly, I gave this a seven. I give it a seven too. Uh, television, television, John. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sorry, didn't why are they all scream that at you? <laughs> this one was—I uh, don't know—it was better than the other two, so I give it a seven. Okay, uh, I gave it a six. I agree with you. It, it was definitely better than the other two. I gave it a six too. So, what did you think was done poorly? I don't know. The oh, wait, I talked about it—the whole linear landing his okay. ship. Oh, okay, okay, all right, all right, okay. P five, eight point seven four. Moving on to our next episode, and all my dreams torn asunder. The Alliance goes to war with the Centauri. Kind of a sad episode. Yeah. Uh, I Again, I, I like this. You know, it would be really hard, I think, if you were uh, Garibaldi or Zack or you know, some of these characters that have to go and make accusations against the Centauri Republic. Even though you know the Centauri Republic is wrong... You also know it's going to impact your personal friend who, at this point, they don't believe Londo is involved. When we know he's not. And so to, to go do something against the entire race of a, of a group of people where you personally are friends with some member of that race. I think that would be a hard situation. Tough spot to be put in. I agree. I, if I had had my chance to write this episode, I think I would have done it differently. I mean, I really like what they do with Londo because he does his job. Yeah. He stands up there and says, this is what my people are, are saying. This is the message of the Centauri people. Whether it's right or wrong, he has the obligation to do that. What I would love to be able to see is the side conversation I'll done a little bit better where he talks about how concerned he really is and how, yeah, okay, I, I agree this must be us that are doing this. I, I accept that, but you know this is this is still you know my obligation as an ambassador. I think he played it. I think he played it correctly. I, I think the way it is is. I, I think it's okay. I, I'm not unhappy with it, but I would have liked to have seen more of the the good stuff about Londo. He's supposed to be coming better, right? I want him to show it a little bit more. I want it to be given to us a little bit stronger than what we do see, because it's clear he goes with. You know, Jakar, they're going to go off to Centauri, and he's trying to get to the bottom of this. I I think the problem I have is that if you show more of what you're asking for, it becomes a little less tragic. Well, sure. I I just... I I hate the other people thinking so poorly about Londo. Londo. When he's finally... He's become something better. Something we can all say is good. Yeah. I, I think um, maybe everyone's thinking that, um, but it's kind of cool, like as a viewer, to kind of know the truth, but actually get the sincerity in mm-hmm. Londo when he is expressing himself. And I mean, he does. He kind of seems like 
when he when he's giving his speeches and when he has all this passion for what's going on, he kind of seems like sort of the hero of the episode. Um, and I think it I think it's pretty effective yeah. uh, for us anyway. Yeah. Uh, I like when when Londo's speaking in re- regards to the first batch of evidence, and he you know he points out the things that we've actually been saying for three or four podcasts now. That's not evidence. That's like totally circumstantial. Oh, oh yeah, Centauri lasers. Yeah, how many lasers have the Centauri sold to every race in this room? Yeah, all that stuff. I the, like that he. You know, it's unfortunate that he's wrong, <laughs> but I like that he actually says, "Hey, you know, can we apply a little bit of logic here?" The, the whole button evidence as well, completely circumstantial. Yeah. yeah, because no one can get a hold of a button and drop it someplace. You know that that one frustrated me. Um, the whole I, I enjoyed when. I was actually wondering why Franklin was put up there to give evidence about the laser cannons or the... the, the Yes. And he talked about how, okay, you know, with, when you stare at the sun, you know, it causes, you know, something inside your eyes to change. And so I can tell that medically. I can look at that and say, okay, it was this type of blast that did it. So we talked about how when you look up at the sun and then you close your eyes... It ends up you see green, apparently, according to him. He, he talked about red and green, about how you would see different things. Yes. My friend John Madsen here. I, I, yeah, red and green. Don't talk to me about red and green. <laughs> Colorblind. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I wanted to find out, do you see that? Do you see red and... I see... Because when I stare, stare at the at sun for... or, or the light, I usually it, it's usually red. That I'm seeing when I close my eyes. I've I was... never. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, 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 so Why would you do that to him? No, I didn't tell us what color he sees. <laughs> so for those who couldn't see that, Joey just pulled out the uh, pocket torch light that he's got. That thing's amazing. <laughs> you know, about 5,000 candle uh, power. Actually, and... I believe it's a 7,000. Oh, it's it. And shined it right at John <laughs> before he could tell what was going to happen. <laughs> no wonder he hasn't been coming on the podcast. I'm epilepsy, do you? No, I don't think so. Um, I probably do now. But, uh, I, I don't see... When I close my eyes, I don't really notice the, the color so much. Um, and, and I'm curious, is it because the color is different? Or is it because you literally have no idea what that color looks like? And I realize it's, it's, you can't really answer that question, but that's what, like, when that happened, I don't know if you, were, you noticed, I, I paused, see, yeah. I paused the, yeah, uh, the I episode, I, and I was just about to ask you, and I thought, eh, I'll save that for the, okay. save yeah, for the yeah. podcast. I, I, I never notice when I close my eyes anyway. The only, I, I, think, I think I'm fine, I think I'm normal, though. Um, as far as like, <laughs> boy, that's a that's a broad statement there, sir. No, I'm pretty normal, I think. Uh, as far as like just the the basic colors, because I did take a a test in a book where you, if you stare at the uh, the reverse image of I think it was the American Red green flag. flag, yeah, um, and yeah, and I passed. I think as far as I can tell, <laughs> uh, as far as my color blindness goes, it's it's usually the more neutral shades of red and green or when it looks similar to me so uh the best example of this is um 
because my brothers are all colorblind. We all took a hike with my sister, who's not colorblind, but she's a cursed carrier, which means all my nephews are colorblind. Uh, and, and so, like, well, we're... Genetic purging can fix that. <laughs> yeah. I, it's, it's kind of funny how many problems us Madsons have. You would think we would have died out long ago. Um, but uh, we, all of us, me and my brothers and my sister, were looking over this field and she's like, wow, look at the beautiful red flowers in the field. And we're all looking off in the distance, like, is it, like, on that hill over there? She's like, no, this field, we're right, just right in front of us, right here. And we were still, like, looking. I still don't, what, what? None of us could see the red flowers in the field because it, like, it was, like, a neutral shade of red that was just about the same level of darkness as the green. All we saw was green. And wow. it's just every once in a while just something like that happens. But usually not the, like, lightness sort of thing, like... Traffic lights. Everyone mm. always asks me about, how do you know when to go at traffic lights? Well, the green one is the one at the bottom. <laughs> so, a funny story about that. My maternal grandfather is red-green colorblind, mm -hmm. but, like, horribly. Like, he'd look at that couch and he'd tell you it's gray. Okay. And... But was he born before World War II, then? Like... Yeah. Oh, yeah. And everything was black and white? <laughs> <laughs> so, we, we... I was driving with him one time. It was actually my mom... And two of my brothers and me, and we're in the car, and he's driving, and he just blows right through a red light. And my my mom says, "Dad, that one was red." And he says, "No, it wasn't. It was gray." <laughs> and we come up with the next stoplight, and my mom says, well, "What color is that one, Dad?" Well, it's gray. She says, "Okay, well, so you need to stop at that gray." And he's like, "Well, how am I supposed to know which grays to stop at and which grays to go at?" And I'm like seven or eight years old, and I said. Grandpa, the green ones are always on the bottom. And my mom goes, You're right. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, my, my, my grandfather's whole life, no one could figure out how to tell this poor man how to know when to stop. <laughs> you gotta be kidding. Wow. It never occurred to anyone, Oh yeah, the green one's always at the bottom. You know, that's the third story you've told tonight that I didn't believe. <laughs> I'll get my mom to tell you that one. She'll tell you. Good heavens. This seriously, what is wrong with, with your family? Okay. Um, that's a year. I already covered that. Uh, so anyway, they decide, all right, we're going to put an economic embargo, essentially. You guys, we're not going to allow you to yeah. trade with any of our ships. And the Centauri basically say, you know what? Screw you. We're going to have our warships coming after this. And it got me thinking, okay, all right, fine, you want to put your economic embargo, but don't try and enforce it. Just basically, like, enforce it with the military might. Just basically say, none of these worlds, you know, in the League of Non-Aligned Worlds, or I guess it's the... Interstellar Alliance. The Interstellar Alliance, none of us are going to trade with you anymore. So you don't need to worry about taking well, ships out there. Let them trade with somebody else, some other podunk people. Okay. And that happens, it happens... Then there becomes a huge black market and getting Drazi goods to the Centauri. And well, if the Drazi truly are indignant about this, you know, then they're going to keep prevent that from happening. Which, since you bring up the Drazi, I'll just say it now: Didn't the Drazi do the exact same thing that the Centauri are being accused of? Yeah. And what did we ever do to the Drazi? <laughs> as far as I can tell, we stood around him awkwardly. For about a minute. Well, that showed the Drazi. <laughs> I, that, that really frustrates me in this episode. 
Okay. Wish they'd done it better. Right, here's what frustrated me. And there's probably an answer to this, a really obvious one that I'm missing, but uh, um, I, I don't know why Londo didn't like speak to Sheridan or anybody before the big meeting. Uh, he said, this is what I know, this is, you know, I I as far as I know, I'm, I'm going to level with you the truth on everything so that I don't have to defend myself after we're accused of, of, this, of this crime. Hmm. So you think uh, um, Londo should have been able to pick up on it sooner? He did. Well, they knew, they knew, um, uh, Veer said they're, they're having the closed meeting, we're not invited. Right. And so that's when he should have said, uh, listen, I know you're going to go to war with us. Um, and I know you think that, you know, this and this and this, but uh, if, if they go to war with him and then he defends himself, it looks more like he's just being defensive rather than True. coming forth and, yeah. you, know, you know, being proactive about it. Yeah. It, it does stink. I mean, all around it just stinks because we finally see, as I, we mentioned before, Londo is the good guy. He's better. He is um, becoming the thing that we all want him to be. Mm -hmm. And now we, you know, paint him back into the corner of, okay, he's a villain again. Yeah. And, you know, he's just like every other Centauri out there. Yeah, it, it's frustrating for them more so than us, like I said before, because I, I really like, I really like his performance in this episode. Hmm. Um, wait, one more thing that bugged me that I just remembered that's very similar to that was uh, the big reveal that it's the Centauri Republic that uh, is, is committing all these acts. How surprised everybody was that it was the Centauri Republic <laughs> when it was a specific closed meeting to the Centauri Republic. Uh, and I don't think it was surprise. I think it was horror at the atrocity of what they were actually watching. What were they watching, though? They I were mean, watching children oh, get killed. That's right. The, the recording that Lanier had captured. Yes. Okay, maybe, maybe so. It seemed like because um, it seemed like Sheridan made, did this big announcement. It's like it turns out. It's the Centauri, and there was this big what? <laughs> oh, okay, that part. Yeah, no, it's. I think. I think that. I think that's again. I think it's surprise. It's. It's. I would have enjoyed that. You episode. have enough. <laughs> you have enough evidence that the president's actually coming out and saying it's the Centauri now. Things are moving, and and mm. I think I think it's fair. Okay. Um, let's see here. Zach decides to cover for Garibaldi, much like Lanier covered for Fennel earlier. Right. Right, and Again, I guess I wrote down the question here at this point: Should Zach turn the blind eye? Absolutely. Turn the blind eye? No, he should turn him in. Yeah, turn, wait, turn him in. Should go to Sheridan and say he's fallen off the wagon. He, yes. There's nothing to turn him in about other than he's a drunk. He's not doing his job. Well, we don't have any evidence of that other than he's you know the, the, the pictures. And he missed one meeting. No, he's been missing of. meetings for several episodes now. There have been there. This is the third or fourth episode in a row where at least once we hear, "Where is Michael? He's supposed to be here." I oh yeah, he's not answering his phone. I only one of those was a dinner, which isn't technically a meeting. Okay, it's just a group of friends. Um, and I do remember one. I guess I only remember the one. Like it was when they were when they were trying to get him to send him to the Drazi homeworld. They couldn't find him that episode either, because he was in his he was in his room drunk. Uh, I, that 
That was literally a month ago that I watched those episodes. Fair. Thankfully, I have purged those from my memory. <laughs> it, it, but you're probably right. He probably should have turned him in, as, as we say, or, or say something to someone. But I actually did think um, Zach's, uh, Zach's speech to Garibaldi, the I'm pissed off because I'm your friend speech, that was one of my favorite Zach speeches. Okay. I really, I really liked... Um, be, just just the answer, you know, because there's the argument, like, you know, who's right or who's wrong, but Zach just takes it all away. It's like, you know what? We're, we're fighting because I care about you, and I want you to recognize that, and I like to speech in there. Hmm. I, I wish they would have had that conversation between Franklin and Garibaldi, just because of oh. when Franklin was on stims and Garibaldi was there, I always wanted to see that be reciprocated. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's good. Uh, I don't know what the word is for that, but that's good... Story crafting? Sure. I know there's a definite phrase for it, but I can't think of it. Symmetry? Symmetry. There we I go. like that. Thank you. Um, but anytime you're going to bring in Franklin, I'm going to be opposed to it okay. on a moral level. So best to leave him out. Um, okay, so here's the... You guys are talking about all these things you have issues with. Here, I think, is the, the coup de grace. Why can't White Star 43 just call Sheridan and say, Hey... We can't get a hold of Garibaldi. We're going in. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that makes. I, I no what I don't understand sense. is why they put Garibaldi in charge of that at all. It's a military thing. Garibaldi's role is supposed to be Covert like operations, secret intelligence stuff, yeah. not acting as a radio officer. <laughs> you know, Sin is at a relay point. You know, that is not what he should be doing. I I. I had no problem with him doing it. I was just surprised that I can kind of no see how they're having him collate intelligence. That, he he's just relaying information. No, he was supposed to actually dispatch ships. Again, what a military officer would right, do. Fine, fine. You're you're not going to turn me on this one. I I, would, I still call it military intelligence, but I, I'm just surprised there were no redundancies in this. I mean, he was drunk, sure. I don't know. He could have been in the bathroom at the time. <laughs> I like that. He, too. he could have, you know, a, a number of things. So I, I'm just surprised it was all on him. Yeah. Uh, or actually, why couldn't that White Star have called the other fleet of White Stars? Because they would have been closer to them than Babylon Five ever could have been. Point. Oh, I wonder if it. Uh, this I'd have to. Re rewrite the episode, but I, I'm wondering if there's like something to do with communication where they have to encrypt it through like a centralized no. source to make sure. I don't know, you know, whatever. Um, my 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 big. I think it's more of a chain of command thing. You think? Okay. Uh, as I watch this episode, I'm reminded of one of my favorite Simpsons episodes, where um, the the one where the cat burglar was in Springfield, <laughs> taking everything. The old man. And yeah, and and Homer was put in charge of the vigilante squad uh, to to protect the the town, like because Springfield is housing the world's largest cubic zirconia, and they knew the cat burglar <laughs> was going to go after the world's largest cubic zirconia. But Homer is distracted by by the three kids who challenged him to a drinking contest or something. And uh, it, the the in the paper the next day after the world's largest cubic zirconia was stolen. Uh, the, there's the photo of Homer in the paper, just covered in beer cans, just just zonked out. <laughs> and the headline says, "Head of Vigilante Squad asleep on the job." 
And Homer goes, what? I wasn't asleep, I was drunk! That's exactly what I thought of Garibaldi in this episode. Uh, uh, good, good Simpsons callback. Thank you. Always, always welcome. <laughs> uh, I actually like the, the kind of the little lecture that Sheridan gives here where he says, you know, we said we were going to do it, but damn you for asking it of me and damn me for agreeing to it because now we're all in an untenable situation. I enjoyed that. I found it to be a little... Tantrumish? Dramatic. Okay. I and uh, yes, it's supposed to be a dramatic moment, but still, it it just... I don't know. I, I don't know how you make it better. I, I wish I could give a, 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 a better idea. Something bugged me. So apparently Veer's life is in danger. Why not just stay inside those main quarters? And why not just post extra guards outside of the quarters? But no, let's send the doctor. And I get that they try to explain it away. Oh, we're hoping that, you know, they won't notice me, uh, you know, taking you aside. Yeah, no, I'm with you. It was dumb. Really? It was dumb. Terrible. Not as dumb as the White Star 43 not being able to tell Sheridan. <laughs> uh, the way this, uh, the Londo and Jakar thing at the end, loved it. You know, Londo and Jakar, as good as they are together, they turn into a, an, a triple A class comedy team when you add another Centauri into the conversation. <laughs> it just, it's always their funniest moments. I, I'll agree with that. Londo, where I go, he goes. Centauri Minister, my condolences. Jakar. Thank you. It's a burden, but I've come to accept it. That's great stuff. Yeah. I enjoyed the fact that uh, Londo is still standing up for, you know, Shikari. He's like saying, hey, I'm I'm going. And they get put in prison. It's a funny moment again where Londo's, you know, just sighs. He's like, the music is swelling up. Wow. Didn't see that one coming. Yeah. Well, Well, the thing is, we saw that coming. But... Londo didn't, and that's what sells it, yes. I, I think. Um, and I, I wrote down, uh, I think, does, does does the action with Londo and Jakar, does it end with them in prison? And talk, I can't remember yeah. exactly. I thought it, it did. Yeah, yeah um, I, I specifically wrote down, gosh, the episode ending with Londo and Jakar rather than with Sheridan Delenn would have made this episode so much better. Because it just... The tag at the very end was, was shared in... And I didn't even write down what it was, but I remember thinking, oh, the other one was so much better with Londo and Jakar. Yeah. I, I'll i agree with that. Uh, I don't have anything else. John? I have... Uh, I have a Babylon 5 in general question. Okay. Uh, I, I just kind of wrote this down just in general. It's, it seems like in this episode, you know, they're talking about... Um, just going to, you know, Centauri and going to Narn. Obviously, there was the big invasion of Narn. Um, at the very, very beginning of the series, like first or second episode, I remember both Londo and Jakar said to their underlings, don't reveal the location of the homeworld. No, they said don't give away the homeworld. Don't give away the homeworld. It was a negotiation for a peace treaty. And they said, oh, okay. oh yeah. So if do anything else yeah. you have to settle, just don't give away the homeworld. Oh, I always, I always interpret that as the location of it. like lo- location. Yeah, don't don't give away where it is. Like, like, and <laughs> it's just it's something that's kind of bugged me this whole time. 
that that the one of the purposes of like the the galaxy is so large and the jump gates are so unique that we don't really have a a map of where everything is. We just just certain people know the coordinates of how to get to certain places kind of thing. Oh, Sorry. That's really funny. I know. <laughs> You've been laboring under that one for a long time. <laughs> it's like every once in a while it comes back. Like, don't give away the location of the homeworld. Isn't everything, don't you know? Okay. I'm very sorry. Sorry. Not at all. We uh, we enjoyed that. Okay. Brainy Smurf says, Asunder. Crazy Londo is fun. Maybe he is ultimately a pessimist, but I think he could have a great side career as a stand-up comic Spinoff. All right, they're doing that again. Okay. <laughs> Apparently, it was funny enough the first time. <laughs> yeah, uh, he could be the Rodney Dangerfield of the Sunflower People. Uh, wow. Are you he... reading the same email twice? No, I'm not. It's it's in both both paragraphs are in here. Huh. Even the Captain Crunch line. The punchline's going to be at the end. It's going to. Uh, no. Sci-Fi Seven, TV Seven. <laughs> Later, dudes, uh, rock rockin' it. Uh, Ambassador Brainy Smurf. So it was just that same comment. It, yeah, it was okay. literally that same paragraph done over again. Okay. Well, all right. It was funny once. It was funny the second time. <laughs> what about uh, the other one? Oh no, wait. There's only Brainy Smurf. Yeah. Yep, only Brainy Smurf. Try and keep up. Pete, science fiction. Uh, liked it. Seven. Seven as well. John, I liked it. Six. I was trying to remember <laughs> what science fiction-y things. I mean, it was just it was good drama. I, I don't remember it as a science fiction so much. Uh, television, I wrote a six for this. I, I thought that they did a reasonably good job with uh, with most of the stuff in there. So, it's good. I'd put a five, but I, I can come up to a six. I, I have no problem with that. All right, so what, what are you doing? Six. Six, okay. I'd, I'd put a five, but you, you talked me into a six. I think I might do a 7.5. Oh, son of a bitch. 3.298. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's funny. We didn't talk about anything good about this episode. And I don't know. I think maybe... I mean, most most of most of what we, we, we nitpicked all this, all sorts of little stuff. Well, that's true. We're terrible people, though. Yeah. <laughs> we just want to tear other things down to it's make easy. ourselves feel it's good. It's easy to tear things down. It, it, and it, it definitely is. Um, for some reason, I, I think we have more things that bother us about this episode than the other ones, just comparatively speaking. But I, I don't know. This was the best episode. It had the most Londo yeah. and Jakar in it. So, Agreed. And, and, I mean, I can't say much more than that. Okay, P5 rating? 9.21. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of the Homestarmy Presents Trek West 5. We hope that you've learned something, had some laughs, and we always invite your comments to our email at trekwest5 at thehomestarmy.com. Or you can tweet us at hashtag trekwest5, or call and leave us a voicemail at 801-788-4913. So, until next time, I am Joey. And I am Peter. And thanks for listening.